Hi and welcome to episode 5 of my podcast series, Social Distancing the Church. And as you notice, again this week I'm splitting them up into two parts because it just makes it more accessible having multiple shorter chunks. Um, yeah, so this is episode 5A, the tech portion, with Reverend Jordan Green of Arendale Alliance. He has been the lead pastor there since May 1st, so he's been coming in right in the midst of this. And before that, he was teaching theology, theology at Miller in, that's in Manitoba, correct? Uh, I was at the BC campus. We have a campus opening in Winnipeg and uh, campus in southern Saskatchewan. Okay. And the current stage of reopening here in Saskatoon is 4.2. So that's religious gatherings are capped at 150, I do believe. Yeah. And then there's a bunch of other conditions that go along with that, like singers have to wear masks and I know some of this, I'm just blanking on them. And then like leaving and exiting in different doors or leaving and entering in different doors. So while our gathering sizes are relatively big right now, we've still got a lot of restrictions we have to be careful of. Is there anything else you want to add in on that? There's a fair, you've kind of hit on some of the key ones that the social distancing, the enforced social distancing has been a, has been particularly challenging to work through because of the mandatory distances you need. And if you've got larger groups, that distance changes uh, because you can have a family core where you'd get eight or 10 people sitting together because they're in a, in a cluster, but then you actually have to leave extra distance. So it's, it's been cumbersome to try and work through. Yeah. Um, so to kind of start off on the tech, it's a bit tricky because you weren't at Arendelle when they were switching over to online, but you probably know more of what went on. Um, so how did Arendelle approach not being able to hold services in person? The first Sunday, we actually did it live in Sanctuary. Uh, so ran basically a normal service with the worship team on the platform, preacher, video camera quite a ways away where we traditionally would have run it. Uh, we have had some online presence in the past, not a significant one, but we would post the sermons you know, within a couple of days of every Sunday post-production. We get them online. For that, Mar- I believe it was March 15th, was that first Sunday where we said the congregation, no one in attendance, just the worship team was here. And... Then as the situation was evolving very, very rapidly, the decision was made uh, probably within a couple of days of that, that service that we would shift everybody to their own home. So our worship teams have been recording in their living rooms. They have uh, typically been a family unit where you'll have somebody either on a guitar or more often on the piano and a couple of vocals, shoot the video with the audio, typically on an iPhone or an Android device. And then it goes to our tech team for post uh, processing. First couple of sermons were done in office. Typically, I'm, I'm talking to you on my laptop. We didn't like the effect that we got with that. So uh, our initial was just kind of the scramble of we're going to do what we can, iPhones, laptops, 
individual pieces and then bring it together. And then that whole process evolved, of course, as time's run on. So how did it evolve? Like, where are you kind of at now? Well, actually, last night was our first big shift. We were back in the sanctuary for the first time since the 15th of March recording. We had the worship team social distancing, which was a little bit odd. We had tape markers on the floors, uh, new video camera positions up in the uh, balcony area, new lighting up to try and enhance our video. We did a, quite a bit of work on the audio because we were set up for live service. You're not set up for recording. You're not set up for this, this internet feed and People don't realize, but the, what you need for video is different from what you need from live situations. And what you need for audio in a live situation is different from recorded. Because for example, the piano, you hear the piano, it, it's got that ambient noise coming off the sound box. If it's not properly mic'd, you don't get it. And in a live situation, you take into account the piano's natural volume as part of that overall sound. You're a, you're a sound guy, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. And so we overcoming challenges like that. Our evolution, the biggest change we made was to move the recording of the sermon and the hosting of the service up into kind of a makeshift recording studio in our library, create a little bit more aesthetically pleasing backdrop. So it looked a little bit more homey. We had a chair there, brought some lighting in to keep the lighting consistent, a lot of natural light. Uh, one of the really kind of frustrating pieces because of the type of glasses I wear. We got a lot of glare off of it, so I had to get used to wearing bifocal contact lenses, which don't work. They don't sound awesome because they're not. Uh, but I had to go to that just because we couldn't even see my eyes because of the glare. But, you know, make some of those adjustments to try and get a, a better quality product. Uh, fortunately, one of our uh, tech guys actually worked for years with CBC, uh, the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation and has fairly extensive background in lighting and video. And then I've got some other folks who have put a lot of time in very musical, put a lot of time in learning the sound side, researching what do we need for lights. And so I've got a tech crew that is is well-rounded and they've been able to kind of pull a package together. That's We've been fairly happy with it. I think a lot of our folks were pleasantly surprised that the music sounds decent we want to back to the sanctuary because we know that recording on the iPhone is never going to be as good. And certainly the video quality, um, our video quality has been actually very, very good, but trying to get back in the sanctuary where you can see the whole worship team and, and the lighting is right. And that. so we've been, we've been working hard on that, pulling a lot of hours. Yeah. Like when I, cause as I was preparing for this, I went and watched one of your services and it was just, uh, a couple playing in their living room and I looked at it and I was like this is pretty good quality like for the most part it's just a what I assume was a USB mic sitting on a coffee table and yeah. it sounded good and it now that you told me it's shot on iPhone I wouldn't have guessed partially because phone cameras are now quite good but like it was a well-produced video and that's comes courtesy. I've got a tech department who has really worked hard at doing some of those kinds of things. And so everything gets washed through computer. I don't, I'm not sure how many hours it takes after we do the recordings before they're ready to post them. But uh, yeah, I, I was really surprised at the quality as well. Now and again, the sound quality is a bit of a challenge depending on where the phone's set relative to the instruments. Pianos in particular can be challenging. Yeah. And just kind of, as you were saying, you would, you get so used to the room sound because like here at Westgate, we have 
six mics on our drum kit that most of our sound techs hardly use because we're relatively, or we're not a small room, but we're not a huge room either. So like you get a, a drummer who's a little bit enthusiastic and acoustically it can carry. Like it doesn't take much. And so it's now it's thinking, how do I mix all these drum mics we have? Because it's, you can't go off the or the room sound anymore. Our solution, we're going to cheat and uh, I think we're going to go to electric drums, which I know purists are horrified by. Having been a touring musician with the college for years, leading uh, worship teams, I actually kind of like them because there's just so much easier to blend into a sound mix, especially when you're recording. Yeah. So. Drums is always one that, but yeah, it's kind of thinking through because mixing, doing sound on a stream versus live, it's Westgate's now in a hybrid service where we live stream mm -hmm. and we have people. And so you're doing both and it's, they're two completely different areas. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, so now that you're back in the sanctuary are you switching to live streaming or are you just still doing pre-recorded out of your sanctuary we have no interest at this time in doing live streaming uh, we were just actually discussing the logistics uh, we're doing an incremental so last night there were, i think 10 or 12 of us in the building next week we'll probably have a few more our goal is to incremental and work our way back that in the fall we'll have our our cap at 150 assuming the rules don't change and, and restrictions aren't, aren't shifted on us again. So what we're looking at with those incremental changes is adding pieces and streamlining so that we could do an entire service in one take. Last night we did a series of takes because we we're working through some soundboard issues because of that difference between live and recorded sound. But our goal is to move to a live recorded service that then is run through post-production and will be aired either hours or a couple of days after the fact to allow us. We don't feel that with our technology, with our manpower and with uh, the various pieces we've got, we don't feel we can really do justice to a live stream. And having talked to some of the other churches and some of the horror stories where the live stream goes down midstream, we've made the decision we're going to go to a pre-record. And so we will record the service with the congregation there, but then people will just have to wait if uh, a delay until our, until the service is prepared digitally. Yeah, because like I've done live streaming both at Westgate and at Ambrose I was live streaming. And while there's benefits to it, there's sometimes where you just, you start streaming and all of a sudden you're only streaming every 30th frame and that's just completely unusable. Because I had that happen and I was like, we got about three minutes in and then I just had to be like, guys, we've got to kill this. I don't know what we're going to do, but we can't continue streaming because streaming does have that air of unpredictability. And then if your stream goes wrong, then what do you do? Because you've got nothing prepared. Yeah. And that's where we've made the decision for us and our situation. We just don't feel that the benefits, and there's some huge benefits. Live streaming would be a blast. 
there's some huge benefits in terms of everyone feels connected and, and some of those things. Uh, it means when the service is over, you're done. But for us, where we're at, what we've got to work with, we just don't feel that the benefits are, are worth the investment. You know, maybe down the road, the tech, and I leave a lot of that in the hands of our tech crew because they're the ones who have to carry that work. And they are, you know, the amount of hours that goes in is just staggering to me. For me, COVID hasn't been a big deal. I mean, the same length of time to preach a sermon if I'm on camera like we are right now, if I'm in the sanctuary like I was last night, my world hasn't changed a whole lot. It just maybe changes what day that we record on. Uh, we record Wednesdays, for example, to prep for 11 days ahead. And uh, with some of that lead time, you know, maybe the tech guys will decide we're going to go live stream. If they do, great. But I'm really leaving it up to them because they're the ones who have to carry the work and they're, they're shouldering a heavy load well. But, yeah. And like pre-recorded, it takes a lot more time to set up a live stream and get everything working. Because like for Westgate, I was helping in like, at one point, took us like two days to set our video switch up. Yeah. Um, but on the other side, I've edit or Ambrose did online chapels for their spring semester and I edited those and that's a day or two of editing as well. So yeah, neither yeah. of them are time efficient. I think your time is pretty similar. Uh, I actually think probably once you got into a flow and got everything set up that your, uh, your live stream probably has less hours of overhead, but more points where something could go drastically wrong. Yeah. Um, so what is the process for you guys of producing a pre-recorded service? Like you've kind of hinted that you record on Wednesday, but kind of what happens from there and for editing as well. Did you guys have somebody who edited before or is there somebody who's learning on the fly how to edit? So in the past with what Arendelle did prior to my arrival, we would record the sermon only and that would be post-process through it'd be washed through software package to get the color up and make sure that the sound is good and and cut it down to just the sermon and those kinds of components and then it would be posted post-covid or during covid now our process is we record each individual piece last night was the exception where we did the worship package and the sermon in one package with breaks because we were tweaking the soundboard and and making some adjustments to uh, the lighting and those kinds of things. But what would happen, what's been happening is the worship team will cut their songs individually and then they'll be spliced together. The scripture reading is done separately, typically on an iPhone again. Uh, we do welcoming announcements a couple of days ahead. In fact, that'll be recorded for this Sunday. This Sunday is the 13th? No, it doesn't sound right whatever this Sunday is, 12th, 11th of July. So the uh, the hosting will be done for this Sunday today so that we're only a couple of days ahead to try and keep current because this Sunday's sermon was recorded last Wednesday. And the recording I did last night, which was the 8th of July, that is uh, going to be our, what is that, July? 19th. 19th service. And so... That allows our, our folks time to go through and edit each piece 
so that they're not panicking. We don't want to get it to them Friday and the service has to go out Sunday. By giving them that lead time, they'll get ahead of it on a couple of days. And so if something needs to be re-recorded, we've given ourselves that lead time because our whole tech department's all volunteer. Uh, the, the gentleman who does the videoing when we're doing the recording studio up in the library is retired and he's been very gracious with this time. The actual post-processing and he takes and he does some processing and some inserting of slides. Then it goes to another family who runs it through a computer system. And I'm sorry, I don't recall off the top of my head. They just switched software packages. But both the sermon recording and our final editing are now done in the same software package. And they go through and they splice everything together and they line up the audio tracks and uh, make sure that the video feed looks good. We've got another uh, couple of people involved that uh, all of our PowerPoints for the worship and also for the sermon are outsourced to a couple of other people and they create the slides that are superimposed. So during worship, along the bottom, you'll see the song words, not over top of the worship people, but kind of underneath and but clearly there. And then for the sermon, we've gone to slides in both Chinese and English because we've got a fairly, uh, a fairly large uh, ESL group in our congregation. Many of them are Chinese as first language. And so we started doing our slides in Chinese for them. And so all these pieces wind up uh, filtering through one final computer process. And then that service gets posted Sunday morning, but it takes them, I think about six or eight hours, but I'm, at least it was. Maybe that process is shorter now. I'm not sure. Yeah. I think one of the really smart things you guys have done is instead of editing for this week, you're editing for a week in advance mm -hmm. because I've done some editing where <laughs> I'm up until midnight scrambling on my edit. And so... Um, having that week and a half to do it well it's not a full week and a half because also now week and a half you have to do next week's as well but like having it a bit ahead of time you can look at it or worst cases they get given a video and they're like this file got cropped can you do a reshoot and then you're not doing time pressures on reshoots and stuff like that so it seems like your week and a half thing, it's something simple, but on the tech side, if I was editing, I'd be like, yeah. As soon as somebody would suggest that to me, I'd be like, that's the way to go. Absolutely. We The irony is that we haven't really needed it. We've only had kind of one, one worship song where we're looking at going, do we reshoot it or don't we? We had a, just a simple lighting issue. Aside from that, uh, we actually haven't needed it, but it has meant there's been no late night last push to get it ready for Sunday morning. And I've been adamant because we've got volunteer tech folk that we need to be really careful that we're not putting too much of a strain on them. And we need a system that's sustainable. You know, I think if you get into the bigger churches where you'd have a full-time tech team, that's, you're into a different scenario there where it's, it's their job and they have it. But all these folks have jobs. All these folks have other commitments. And so we're trying to really honor them. And, and there's huge sacrifice. I, there's no way if we didn't have the crew that we've got doing all the things they're doing, be it the worship, be it to the sound guys, the lighting, the video, uh, we, 
we just we rise and fall on their sacrifice. So, and this the week and a half we got lucky because uh, there was a Sunday where um, Dr. Vanderwall, the district superintendent, was preaching for us, and it created an opportunity where I could just do another sermon. And then he sent his in, and that allowed us to shift everything a week ahead. And one of the worship teams graciously offered to do two sets that week. And one set was used for the incoming Sunday, and one set gave us our 11-day advantage. Yeah. Now we're trying to figure out what do we do when we've got people Sunday morning recording a Sunday morning. What's that going to look like with this 11-day lead time? So we haven't figured it out yet. Um. So another struggle with the online services is maintaining community. Um, churches are figuring out when you can't meet in person, how do you foster a sense of community? So what kind of strategies has Arendelle been doing to try and keep an online community? That's been a work in progress for us. When COVID first hit, we had a call network for our seniors. So we've got a, a a, a good percentage of seniors that call this church home. We were calling them every every few days or once a week or, or fairly regular to maintain a, an in-person touch, be it over the phone, and a devoted prayer list for them. We have uh, we've done a couple of major Zoom events. We actually had our annual meeting on Zoom. Uh, our annual meeting falls in late June. We have to have it legally, so we just went ahead and did it. We were able to figure out a way of doing our voting in Zoom, and it worked remarkably well. And that was a nice touch because then people could see each other and, and kind of know everybody was there. With our ESL program, it's kind of been at the forefront a little bit with COVID because they've kept teaching, but we've moved it to Zoom and developing some strategies for how can we use Zoom to at least have a sense that somebody else is out there. And the overwhelming response has been, yes, it's positive, and no, it's not a replacement for in-person. We did communion uh, a couple of weeks ago online, in Zoom, in real time. We're doing a workshop right now that we're teaching in-house, and that's every Sunday morning. And so, again, people are meeting, and they can see each other, and there's some interaction happening. It's, it's really brought up the possibility or the question around, what do we need to do to facilitate, you know, maybe smaller groups of, of pockets. We don't have a small group program, for example, at Arendelle at this time. Uh, we've got a lot of ministries going. That's not one of them, but it's raised the question of how do we leverage the ministries or are there some shifts we need to do? Because Zoom is great, but for a lot of folks, they say it's, it's not the same. Yeah. Not in person. We don't see each other. We're then, then when you do get into a situation where there's social distancing, we discover that even in person's a lot harder right now than a lot of people uh, would have anticipated until you try it. You suddenly find you're six feet apart and somebody offers you their hand. You shake their hand. Don't you shake their hand? What do you do with the person you always hug every time you see them and now you've got to stay six feet apart? So this is actually a real big work in progress for us. And we've got a team that's discussing it. The staff's discussing it as well. We, we haven't solved it. And I'm not sure it's, I'm not sure it's anything any church solves. I think it's more of an ongoing conversation piece to realize we need personal contact. But so we've been using Zoom primarily and kind of asking, are there other things we need to enhance to help? 
and encouraging where it's, it's safe and appropriate for those small groups now that there are some restrictions that have lifted over smaller groups meeting, especially with the summer now, people could be outdoors. Yeah, and what you said, like, you don't think any church has. I don't think really any church has, but like each church is kind of taking their own individual approach because it is something that has to be contextual. But at times there's like, this church is doing this thing and another church is doing another thing. And it's like, if you combine those two ideas, what would that look like? But people... So that's kind of why I've been having these conversations. It's there's all these different approaches that really interest me. Um, so how are you going to keep an online presence going forward? Um, the new normal after COVID restrictions is probably going to have a higher reliance on the internet. Um, at least that's my prediction is people are going to want more stuff on the internet as they're using it more um so how are you planning to carry forward Arendelle's online presence now that you've established one our plan is as that transition happens to kind of a hybrid of people in the sanctuary with a, a post service uh posting uh uploading of the service video our plan is long term what we've kind of established now with the recording of the whole service and capturing it, that we're going to continue. The patterns that we're establishing now are being established with the thought that in five years, this will be the template for what we're going to keep doing in the future. We've got a fairly large senior population and some of them have, you know, there's, there's physical challenges, even when COVID's off of getting to service, but they still want to be a part and realizing to properly honor those who, uh, those folks, we, there's things we can do to make Sunday morning accessible to those who can't be here in person. And so one of the blessings of COVID has been to force us to rethink how much time and effort we put in. Previously, we didn't do a lot with our online service. Now our online service is going to have a, a much higher profile in the overall package of what we do. So i uh, my anticipation is five years from now, it'll look very similar to what's going to look like this fall, where you'll see people in the congregation, you'll get it a day or two late, but you'll have the whole service and the quality of the recording will be tailored so that you don't feel like you're getting leftovers. You don't feel like, well, the video is not very good the sound. I couldn't quite hear it. No, you'll get a good sound. You get a good picture so that if you can't be there in person, you still feel connected and cared for. Yeah. And two things i kind of want to draw from that is like um a even though you guys are doing pre-recorded you're like we can still do a hybrid service because at least how i've always thought of it is you have to be live streaming to do a hybrid service but you're kind of flipping that and be like you can do a hybrid service it's just online versions a day later after we do post which that's a smart idea i haven't considered um secondly um the idea of not be or doing online for those who can't be physically present i've always heard or that's the conversation i'm hearing a lot as like people previously they were traveling so they miss church but if you're online they can still come to church even if they're in another city for business or something 
and we want them cared for. But as I say, we've got a, an aging congregation. Every congregation's aging, uh, but quite a few are in uh, moving towards care homes and that, and being able to provide an opportunity for them to still be part of the church family is is huge. Yeah. And uh, you know, ten years ago, fifteen years ago, we wouldn't have have really felt we had a lot of good options, or we would take a CD recording of just the audio of the sermon that was done for years. But we've got an option now to do something that's a little bit more immediate, a little bit more, uh, I think, a little bit more effective, given the technology that we've now got. And, so. and another thing is. Like with a CD, that only works if you know about the people, right? Like if it was a CD, you had to physically get it to them. Whereas yeah. being online, they just have to know about it and then they can do it. And the church doesn't have to track down everybody to get them yeah. the service. So that's another big benefit. One, I think a lot of churches have discovered they've got a bigger viewership than they would have anticipated, and it's coming from places they didn't know. Our ESL program, we're getting students from all over North America now because we've moved it online. They've maybe moved away from Saskatoon, have friends here, or they've got friends in the program and they're invited in. But even looking at where our videos are being watched, uh, it's outside of Saskatoon. We're, we're starting to get people who are joining us for service or outside of our normal congregations. So... Well, yeah. you think about it, um, if your views are matching your congregation size, you have bigger people watching because a family of five, they register yeah. as one view probably because they're all watching it together. So it's kind of, if you think about it, if your views are matching your congregation size, it's actually bigger, which is fascinating because I think a lot of churches are having higher views than their congregation size. That's exactly it. And so there's, uh, and that's quite a few of them have talked about, you know, got a congregation of 300, 450 views. And then you start doing the math and realize, like, but it's hard to figure out where they're coming from. Yeah. So. Um, what do you see as the future of technology and worship going forward we've been in this season there's been a further reliance on tech in our worship services and so how do you predict the church will negotiate the relationship with technology i'm not sure where it's going to go uh, i got into computers in 1985 i've been a tech guy for quite a while I think the church sometimes swings through a pendulum a little bit where the tech becomes really important to us and then it falls away and then it becomes really important to us. I think we're in one of those upticks right now where tech is, is kind of forefront of our thinking because COVID's forced us to find new ways of doing things. And tech is the only, our, our technology infrastructure is the only thing creating those opportunities. I think we're going to see with the tech kind of two streams emerge. One that's really loving oh, we can do this and we can do this and we can do this and really pushing the balance on what can be done. And I think we're going to see a second stream that's going to push back a little bit and say, we can't replace authentic relationship with the technology. And one of the tensions I've seen as a tech guy at times is sometimes the tech becomes our focal point, not a means to an ends, but it becomes an ends. And I think right now we're kind of in tech as an ends 
And I think we're going to see a little bit of a course correction there with a lot of churches where they're going to, uh, they're going to engage with the technology as a means to an end and, and not be so concerned about what can we do, what's cutting edge, um, but just simply what's effective. But I think for some churches that have avoided tech, they're going to find they've actually cut out a piece of uh, fellowship because tech does create opportunities. Whether we like them or not is irrelevant. I hear a lot of people go, well, we don't like Zoom. I get that. Uh, Zoom meetings have significant trouble. But at the same time, the option is no relation. Okay, then we, maybe we will do Zoom. So I think, I think it's going to be kind of this interesting hybrid. But I think the big challenge is for the church not to replace tech as the ends, but use it as a means. And, and for churches at different levels, uh, I'm typically been a small church guy. For smaller churches, they don't have the infrastructure. They don't have the manpower. They don't have the in-house expertise. But find that tech has, as these technology changes have happened, Zoom is remarkably uh, accessible. You don't need to have a lot of technical ability. You don't even need to have really good computers for it. Mm-hmm. And yeah, multi, like I think what you guys do at Westgate, if I'm understanding, you've got multiple camera angles and, and you're doing some really neat stuff with video switching and that. That's great. You don't have to do that. If you can, it's, it is better. But for churches to even in, embrace, this is the level that we've got the expertise for. And again, it's a means to an end and not lose sight of that ends. Well, like even at Westgate, while we do have all this a nice switcher and stuff, you look at the first few ones and they're choppy. Like it's... Yeah. <laughs> we Thanks have it now, but the first probably month or two, we didn't. It was just Westgate decided to really invest in this as they're kind of in a special circumstance. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's interesting, like with Zoom, like it is crazy accessible. Like I was talking with Bryce of Westlife for last episode and their prayer meetings, they used to do in-person prayer meetings. Almost nobody showed up. During COVID, they switched it to Zoom so many more people showed up and they're kind of thinking we're probably not going to go back to in person because people are actually showing up on zoom and they weren't in person right there's that accessibility to it absolutely absolutely thank you join for your insights into the tech behind arendale and their online services and I recommend every one of you to watch the theology part as well because he was a theology prof at Miller so the theology side of it is interesting and I recommend you watch part B now which I will have the link in the description. Hi and welcome to episode 5B of my podcast with Jordan Green. Um, 
I recommend if you haven't watched part A as it helps give insights and helps you understand the context of what he has to say in the theology behind online services. So I'll continue the conversation with Joy now. So shifting now to the theology side of things, um, Marshall McLuhan says the medium is the message. That means that some changes would have to be made when transitioning from in-person services to online services. Like churches have been, initially they just took their regular um, liturgy and they plopped it into it onto the internet and then they realized some of this doesn't work. So what changes did Arendelle decide to make? We're still in process on that. And actually, as I was talking that last section about uh, the means versus the ends, I was actually thinking of his quote in particular, that idea of the medium is the message. Um, one of our, uh, one of the things we've been kind of working through is what, what is our order? What is our structure with our, uh, with our piecemeal approach where we've got the worship recorded as one piece and we've got the various other pieces recorded separately and then brought together. We, we've moved away from some of our traditional liturgy approach because we know people aren't with us. I've noticed uh, our youth pastor, Pastor Matt, for example, when he's leading the pastoral prayer, takes a different, he asks people, go ahead, pause the feed. And we've gone to an electronic bulletin that has been one of those, we should have thought of this 20 years ago kind of moments. Instead of doing paper and being restricted by some of those things, we've shifted everything onto a, a weekly email PDF form. And uh, I think one of the messages out of COVID is please, can we keep that e-bulletin moving forward? I, I don't know if we'll even go back to printed paper because if it needs to be 10 pages, it can be 10 pages. If we need four, it can be four. We have our, our prayer lists in there in much greater detail. So we're presenting the information differently than we did live. And Pastor Matt would actually invite people, pause, grab your bullet, grab your e-bulletin, pray through the things in your group. And so we're actually trying to get our families to pray together. Whereas in a normal service, it would have been not interactive at all. And so there's little shifts like that. Uh, some of our order service, we haven't been doing closing song. Typically, you know, for most evangelical churches, you've got your welcome announcements, a uh, couple of songs, dismiss your kids, scripture readings going to maybe fall in there somewhere, maybe one more song before the... Uh, uh, before the message that's also part of a pastoral prayer kind of a piece, message, closing song, benediction, dismissal, that model kind of just got thrown out the window. Last night was the first time I've done a benediction in three months or two and a half months. Uh, I think we'll move back to a little bit more of that traditional liturgy, but even in how we do prayer and how we intentionally try and incorporate the communal aspect of the service in welcome, in announcements, in pastoral prayer. We're thinking through what do we do with our worship because there's restrictions on how do we sing in person. And so frankly, we are being forced to kind of rethink some things. And we're not sure where it's going to land. I think it's interesting yes. that you got more interactive in an online format because most people are finding that 
in online format is less interactive but you guys are kind of flipping it and being like oh you can just pause the video and then you can do your prayer whereas in person you can't do that so it's like really making the most of it and i think with covid on right now actually one of the challenges is that we probably need to be more intentional that there is that tendency to kind of step back and i think with with the way that technology facilitates services we actually do need to turn it on its head a little bit i was teaching a workshop last sunday i'm used to in person i'm used to classes i'm used to dialogue i like a lot of discussion and debates as a teacher we're using the chat side have everybody mute on zoom and i'm doing a lot more lectured so we've actually flipped on space so it's an interactive medium with less interaction because more interaction on zoom especially if you have 40 or 50 people on really starts to get muddy and you get a lot of background noise and so oddly there we flipped it the other way and said less use chat and then we'll unmute somebody so that they can talk so we're still trying to keep some of that personal connection but it actually feels a little bit less connect than uh, if I was teaching the same workshop to a live crowd, somebody put their hand up, we'd stop, we'd all talk about it. And But particularly with our worship and with our, our sermon and our live service, as I'm doing the sermons, I'm trying to really be a lot more aware of how do I engage a congregation I can't see? And I think there are challenges there, but we do need to be intentional with making the congregation feel like they're being interacted with, even if it's pre-recorded. Yeah. Um... So, were there any theological considerations in moving away from the sanctuary, like Aaron records either in people's home or in the library set? Um, were there any, any theological considerations or backlash in moving away from the sanctuary? The, the big issue we ran into is what do you do with baptisms? We've got a small baptismal tank. We've got restrictions on using personal protection. And we had four candidates coming through our baptismal system who'd been, they'd met with the elders. They had gone through the whole process and they were just waiting on a date just as COVID happened. And that actually necessitated uh, some really interesting conversations about can we adjust uh, symbolism? is it appropriate to use pouring instead of full immersion? We're a full immersion church. Traditionally, the Alliance is traditionally a full immersion denomination with an awareness that there are other traditions and sometimes circumstances necessitate. Uh, our end result was we wound up out at a lake because outdoors the restrictions are different, the safety levels are different. And uh, in doing our, our due diligence, our homework, and we've got medical doctors in our church, we've got actually an epidemiologist who attends. So we've got very, very good medical expertise on hand to help kind of guide some of these conversations on a practical level. But theologically, that, that question of baptism, where would we do it? How would we do it? Uh, that one was that one took us a couple of weeks to perfectly work through. And it, it caused some some soul searching a little bit in terms of we know we need to baptize these folks. How do we do it to honor them and honor Christ? And what do we feel is appropriate as a symbol? I'm not aware that we took a lot of backlash with shutting down the sanctuary initially. I wasn't here for it. So if there was, I think there's a lot of confusion. There's a lot of fear. Uh, because of our ESL program, we've got a lot of influence coming over from China. So we knew ahead of the COVID lockdown that the COVID lockdown was coming. 
we had actually paused our ESL program about a month ahead because our folks knew what was going on in China and we were getting firsthand reports. So we were a little ahead of the curve. So by the time the government lockdown came, we already knew it was coming. We'd already kind of prepared for it. And sometimes when something new comes, we react and we make it theological, but the real issue is, is it's not theological. That gave us some time to kind of work through what are we going to do? And no, we're okay with, with homes and living rooms and the message can be somewhere else. The library is pragmatic. We wanted some place that looked good so that the message quality was good. And so that uh, people weren't sitting fixated on bad lighting or bad sound or, or those kinds of things, but could simply hear what was said and engage with what was said. So we haven't had issues there. Probably the bigger one has been now that we've been told, well, we can have 150 people. People are lonely and they want to be back together. And they're thinking, well, if we can have 150, why don't we get 150 together? Not aware that there are a lot of caveats and a lot of restrictions of, you alluded to at the start, you come in one set of doors, you go to another set of doors. Hand sanitizing, masks, you're ushered to your seats. And, but people are lonely. So we're probably dealing more with that than we are theological issues for us as a church. I don't know if other churches have, have hit issues where people have objected theologically. I, no one shared one with me. The baptism one was a big one. Yeah. And, but like the other cool thing is, is with baptisms, you were able to do it in a lake. And for some people like doing it in an actual body of water, Mm-hmm. And still, because it's pre-recorded, it can still be shared with the congregation. Like it's mm-hmm. probably for some people that would kind of be the way to go. Like they would want to be baptized in a lake rather than a kiddie pool on the stage. Yeah, exactly. We actually have a baptismal tank built into the sanctuary, yeah. but it, it's small. And then you're in the issues of you can't social distance in it. On, on it goes but no for some the lake's a great symbol yeah so um how does your church do communion communion's the big one where people find that it's tough doing it at home and a bit awkward mm-hmm. but you also can't skip communion so how has Arendelle approached doing communion We've done it twice and we've done it two different ways. The first time we did it was uh, for the end of May. We typically do the last Sunday of the month. And that we recorded a segment and we've got little pre-prepared cups with the wafers on top and, and double layer wrapping. And, and uh, our administrator had bought them. I think she bought a thousand of them or something, which sounds like a lot to you realize we go through, you know, that only gets us a, a few months of, community at best but so I sat and I used one of those and I just walked us through it just like I would if everybody was in front of me there it was just simply me talking and people were prepped ahead of time that communion was coming we reminded them several weeks ahead so they could have symbol ready of uh, bread and of juice and be ready to go last month uh, end of June we left that video available for those who wanted it so that you know, on their own time, they could do it. But we also said, we're going to meet at 1230 on Sunday. And I led us in a Zoom uh, communion where everybody could see everyone else. I had our youth pastor uh, queued up and he actually led the prayer. So it was a little bit more interactive and people could kind of do a little bit of a fellowship as part of it. 
And again, we, we prepared them weeks in advance. They could have their things ready. And we walked through it like we would a real service. Uh, I don't know if we would do that approach again. I think people found it. Uh, there were a lot of faces, a lot of stuff going on. There was a fair bit of noise. At the end of it, there was a sense we're not finished. And so we attempted to do the doxology with everybody's uh, computers off muted. And that's when you discover beautiful things like latency and <laughs> just kind of get this, this massive noise. So if we were to do it again, I would modify how we would do it. Uh, and I would be open to it, but I wouldn't, I, I think we would have everybody muted, encourage everybody to see everybody else as they want to. And some people who, you know, they actually found that distracting others, it was meaningful. So as is appropriate for you, uh, I would still queue up a couple of people to pray, just like we would on a normal Sunday where the pastor will lead. And then I would have somebody uh, who would agree to do some closing. There, it, there was a sense it, it didn't finish. It, it wasn't close. It was, it was very odd to me. I didn't see that coming. That it, it felt like we need to do something else. And that's where the doxology came up. So probably we'd have somebody keyed up. They would lead a closing song and people would be encouraged to sing along at home. The nice thing is with our move toward being in phase four two, with our move towards reopening, our next communion service is going to fall at a time where we could conceivably actually have people in the sanctuary and at home and we'll serve them in the sanctuary as we would and we'll uh, cue our congregation up to have them ready to go. So um, yeah. that, one, that one's been a bit of a challenge. It's been a challenge for probably most, if not all, churches. Um, I think the Zoom call... Is an interesting idea where, because then you can have more interaction in communion rather than just watching a pre-recorded video, which seems less personal. Um, so yeah, I think the Zoom call, it's an interesting approach. It comes with a bunch of different logistical problems because, but it's a cool idea. Um, so in my last episode, Bryce brought up the idea that streaming can become the clergy show. It's really the only people that are going to be a part of the service are church staff because you're trying to minimize the size of the people coming. So is there any ways that you had success in including the laity into the service and like preventing and minimizing it from becoming the clergy show? Uh, it's until I arrived, there wasn't even uh, necessarily a, a clergy who was preaching. The, our very first COVID service, I think we had two minutes of clergy and the rest of it was all non-clergy. We've done, I think, reasonably well there. We have weekly scripture reading, for example, it's rotated through. We have our worship teams and we don't have a worship pastor. So that's all led that way. Sometimes our hosting is done by one of the elders instead of by Pastor Matt, the youth pastor. I think I took it last week. Uh, just there were some logistical things that just made it simpler. So we've had a steady stream of more than just me. And I actually, have, my interest is that we keep a broader perspective than just the pastor. We're in a weird season in that we haven't really looked at having me out of the pulpit. We've had uh, Dr. Bernie Vanderwall actually take two services. One was my installation and one was a message that he brought on behalf of the district. 
aside from that, I've kind of carried it because they've been waiting. They've been with only pastor. We've had a transitional pastor for the last, um, he was here for quite a few months, but being the new guy, there's just, it's an awkward season to start sharing your, your pulpit a whole lot. The plan is pastor Matt will take a sermon and then, you know, maybe in the fall, we'll look at a little bit of a different kind of a program. Frankly, I'm not even sure we're not there yet. So because of the circumstances of my arrival, things are a little different at Arendale, where the church family wants to get to know me, and they can't meet me in person. One of the big ways is they listen to me every week. But then also, like, on the flip side, like, because you're so new, it's there's so many other people that are already filling positions, so it seems like you guys have just kind of kept those people in their positions, and so then that kind of prevents it from just being a you show because there's already like scripture readers because some churches they don't have scripture readers right it's a lot of churches i've seen it's integrated into the sermon um so having something even just like that you get another face up there that isn't right um let's see here um so kind of we've been hitting on this and now I just kind of want to address it completely is so we're now allowed 150 people. Um, how is Arendelle approaching reopening? Because as you said, there's people that just want to rush right in. And there's also the people who are like, think the province is opening up too quick and they're fearful and they don't want to come. So there's a very much divided where some people are like, as soon as the restrictions got to 50, they were like, let's get back in there. And then there's some who are like, we still shouldn't be open. So how is Arendelle approaching reopening? We're doing an incremental opening. So last night there were uh, 11 or 12 of us in the building and that was just the core team we needed uh, for worship for our sound and a couple of our uh, key administrative people who were actually kind of watching to see what's our flow going to be and they were there to, to bolster numbers because it's a, when you've got 11 people in a building that seats 750 it's it feels a little bit odd so it's nice to have a few more, but also they were there in particular to start really thinking through and mapping and watching how do how do people move, what are our likely uh, flow issues that are going to happen. And over the next couple of weeks, we're going to have other recordings happening in the building. We're going to start incorporating new additional elements into our Sunday morning service as we move back to more of what we would have done before with the children's feature uh, the plan will be at some point our scripture reader will be present in the building. This week's scripture reading done at home. We're going to splice it in in post-production. Uh, but next week we've already kind of tentatively said if we're far enough along we may actually have the scripture reader here and they will read in the sanctuary as part of that, that broader service. So we're going to make those kind of incre- incremental practical changes to our service. And as we do so we're going to have them bring people with them. So we're going to have a little bit bigger group, a little bit bigger group. So if you're doing scripture reading, bring your family. 
uh, we're going to begin to bring our ushering team in and get them trained in what are we going to have to do under COVID rules in terms of having people sign in, track where they're sitting, uh, the hand sanitizing, mask protocols, all those things that we're going to put in place. And so we're going to kind of gradually add people and add people with the goal of this fall. We haven't figured out yet, do we just simply say come and we'll make it work on the assumption that there's going to be only 150 people here that seems like a bad assumption to me that could get us into some serious trouble uh we haven't figured out the way that invites will go out yet and i know there's different ways some churches are doing it some are doing it uh first come first serve by invitation others are doing a lottery system we haven't we haven't gotten to there yet we're considering it we haven't landed on anything but these incremental are going to lead us to the point where we're going to have our crew trained ready have our flow of traffic set down so that when we start to invite people, we'll actually have it flowing well. One of the one of our choke points is August first. One of our uh, youth leading youth leaders uh, booked the church I think about sixteen months ago for her wedding, and they're now getting married. Uh, he's been away at college, and uh, they've got I think probably close to 150 people coming. We'll be under the limit. We've got to follow all of our protocols. But that's actually forcing us to have a lot of things in place because we've committed to her. Your wedding will be here. Any renovations we need to do for this live recording will be done. Um, the building will be ready so that we don't uh, we don't detract from her day. But it, it is forcing us to have some of these things in place. Yeah. Um, throwing out another idea of like, how churches are making sure they're under the size cap. What Westgate did is they said two services. Mm -hmm. If your last name ends with this letter, you're in this service. If your last name's on this one, you're on this service. And then kind of looking at it, um, we could squeeze, because not everybody's comfortable attending, mm -hmm. um, we could squeeze everybody into one service, but then you just, you're packing people tighter and you don't want to be pushing the limit and then an outbreak comes and you become that church in the media. Like that's, that's a big thing churches are scared of being as being that church that created an outbreak. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And we've talked multiple services. We've even floated the idea of, do we do one service say on Wednesday night? and the other service Sunday morning. Uh, do we do the service Wednesday night and record it and then air it Sunday morning live and have a viewing party here? We've talked about some of those things. We haven't landed on anything that we're really comfortable with yet. And we're not far enough along that we need to answer it. But uh, yeah, we our, our interest is to not be that church. I, I like how you put that. Um, trying to be wise, trying to be careful. But even going to two services, you've got a whole set of regulations in terms of how you do your changeover for the next service, how soon it can be, how flows of traffic happen. Like, I think a lot of people figure, well, how difficult is it? it it's still a fair headache to run yeah. two services. Uh, Westgate, it's, there's a break and then uh, just go in and they wipe everything down. Yeah. People have to exit out this store because the next group's going to be entering a different door yeah. and there is it's not just and then worship team has to do two sets 
your tag team has to do two sets, which if you're not used to it, it's like you're standing at that soundboard for a lot longer than you're used to, and it's and especially if you're doing a hybrid service, it's you're doing two mix, two separate mixes, a large or a recorded and a in-house mix, and so even two services isn't an easy thing and there's some people where it's even if you open you're gonna have people who don't come um let me just look at my questions here um yeah that's kind of all i got is there anything else you want to comment on not off the top of my head, we covered quite a bit of ground. I think you, you've identified where some of the challenges are, of how do we use technology, and th that question of uh, where's, where are some of our theological tension points as we've had to shift. That's made for some interesting conversations as people reevaluate the place of building yeah. in church identity. So I, frankly, the conversations happening in my world have been all the positives of COVID. COVID is forcing us to better appreciate community. COVID is forcing us to better consider what are our focuses and our, our places where we pouring ourselves and how do we better create a sense of family and community and, and how do we, where do we invest our time and our effort? And so COVID's actually come with some really big blessings, but obviously the big challenge right now, I think people are lonely and they're feeling really disconnected. Yeah. Okay. Thank you, Join, for joining me. Is there any way people can contact you? Uh, yes. Uh, feel free to get a hold of me here. If uh, they've got questions, they can contact the church office here at Arendelle Alliance Church, or feel free to email me personally, jordan.green at arendellealliance.ca. Um, I'm happy to, happy to talk. Okay. Thank you. God bless. Thank you, Join, for joining me today and for all your insights. It was really insightful, all that you had to say. I also want to thank Odom for providing my music. It's a huge blessing. And as always, I'll have his Spotify link in the description. And yeah, thank you, everyone, for joining me. If you want to follow me on Instagram that would be greatly appreciative I kind of share more of what the day-to-day -day processes are because it's not just click record and start but there's all this other behind the scenes stuff I have to do so I recommend you follow me there and also I'd be grateful to get some more feedback into things I'm doing well and things I could improve on so yeah, thank you for joining me.